Hey, what is up? Welcome to the Hypothetical Comedy Podcast. I am Funky Sam Medina. And I am Athena Rodriguez. And we are here with comedian David Parsons. Hey, David, thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. It's great to be with you, too. Hell yeah, hell yeah. It's great. It's good to talk to you. It's been a it's been a little while since we were able to just kind of hang out and talk. So I appreciate that. Yeah. How's uh, how's life in Texas? Ah, uh, it's cold at the moment. We've got one of those rare, you know, it's kind of like winter in Texas is usually pretty mild, but then we have uh, about three weeks where it gets down um, into the thirties, and we we've got we've got that this week. So it's pretty chilly out there. That's fun. Is it snowing? Uh, no, it snows about every three or four years, and this this doesn't Whoa. look like it's going to be a snow year. Wow, is that uh, just Dallas, or is it all of Texas that doesn't snow very often? That's all of Texas. In fact, like in the Panhandle, um, you get a bit more snow, but like uh, most of Texas is pretty mild through the winter. I remember. I remember like 2020, I don't know if it was if you were involved, but there was a huge really bad storm in Texas and it was like snow everywhere and it yeah. was like the worst you guys ever experienced. Yeah, that was the worst. Um and then the other time the, that I remember it being really really bad was the only year uh in recent years that Dallas has hosted the Super Bowl. Um, as, as luck would have it, we had really terrible snow and ice storms that kind of shut the city down. And oh. uh, and I remember that there were like uh, some people, some workers setting up for the Super Bowl were killed by a falling sheet of ice from the stadium. Damn! Was, oh, wow! I did not hear about that. I'm like, yeah, because Texas is normally mild, and the, I, I guess the uh, the NFL were like, hey, it's safe to have it in Texas. They got a brand new, uh, a cool stadium, and it's yeah, always on right. there. And then they come, and it's like the worst, the worst week on record. Oh. <laughs> oh, dang. Wow, what year was that? Do you remember? Ah, uh, I think my kid recent. had just been born, so it was probably like 2011. Oh, that long ago? Okay, okay. 2011, that 2012. All, that's crazy that, that people died just from ice falling on them. You see, that's the thing about, like, in England, you know, we, we talk about the weather constantly in England. But in England, the weather is just, like, normal weather. Hey, it's going to be wet. Take your umbrella. <laughs> and in Texas, the weather will literally kill you. Wow. Um, I mean, like, the first week I was here, we had a tornado. Um, oh, my gosh. And people were like, go go hide in the bathroom. I'm like, I'm not scared of a little bit of weather. And then um, on the news... I'll just get my umbrella. Right. On the news, there were these pictures of semi-trucks being lifted up by the... Damn. Yeah, and they they were like... Like like somebody was picking up Tonka toys and tossing them around. And they were these big-ass semi-trucks. Wow. Well, All right. Well, Texas is off my list of places, <laughs> of places to live now. You know, I, I like Texas. I've gotten I've gotten acclimated over the years. I've been, I've been in Texas for for twenty two years now. Twenty years. This is my twenty third year in Texas. Wow. So, and, and I, I left for um, I left for Texas from England when I was twenty seven. So we're almost at the point where I've been here for as long as I was in England. 
So oh, that's crazy. Half your life in Texas, half your life in England. Why? I, I do want to get into the the England stuff, but why did you choose Texas? Um, the same way most people choose where to live. I fell in love with a woman. Oh. I was um I was a law student in in England, and I uh, my school did a uh, an exchange, a study exchange with the University of Texas. And um, I can't, I wanted to do some study abroad, but I didn't speak any foreign languages. So my only options were, were Texas. And then weirdly enough, the, um, the University of Ravaniemi in, um, in Iceland um, taught classes in English. So I could have gone to Iceland. So I was like, Iceland, Texas. I think I'll choose Texas. <laughs> and my, yeah, you know, a better choice of the two. Right. Uh, and then I, I, but I had these sort of these visions of Texas being like, uh, still the wild west with like horses and shit, uh, and all the oil barons. <laughs> it's like the, the two things that have given me an idea of what Texas was like were, uh, the TV show Dallas, no, um, no. and, uh, King of the Hill. So, oh, okay. uh, it was kind of like that was that was my sort of like, but and then I, I found it was like really neither of those, although it's more like King of the Hill than Dallas. <laughs> uh, and uh, and then so while I was in law school over here, I did law school over here for a year. I, I met another law student, fell in love, and we ended up um, dating remotely for a couple of years. And then I got we uh, got engaged, and I moved over here to get married. Wow. So, and then happily, happily ever after? Not quite. So <laughs> we uh we we were married for five years and then we had a pretty fiery divorce. Uh oh. it was like my my wife uh I like I, I I'll love her to this day. She was my first love. Um and um uh I it was it was all kinds of sad, but uh, she had some mental health problems. Um, she had, she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and, oh. uh, it, it just, it, it all, it, it went terrible. And when you've got like two lawyers, um, who are in a, in a marriage and then the marriage starts to sort of get nasty, lawyers are sort of trying to dismantle their opponents. Yeah. And, I mean, they're right. Exactly. Yeah. But then, you know, uh, I, I sort of stuck around because I was, I had a job here uh, and I was licensed to practice law and I, I hadn't got that far in England. I didn't, I didn't sort of like have a law license for England. So I couldn't immediately get a job if I went back. And then I met, um, at a dinner party, um, I met my, uh, I don't like to say current wife or second wife because that implies <laughs> like, I, I, I've kind of like settled on forever wife. Um, but <laughs> I, 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 usually, uh, I usually call Athena my first wife. We'll see what yeah. happens. He's very hopeful. <laughs> very hopeful. Well, I like. And anyway, I've been married to Lindsay, um, who who is uh, who is my wife right now, and hopefully forever. Um, I married her in 2009, so we've been. This is our. 14th anniversary this year. Wow. Um, That's awesome. And, um, she's great. She's like, uh, she's a nurse practitioner. Uh, so she's very sort of like, you think she'd be nurturing. She's not that nurturing. She's kind of very practical, but she's sort of like, uh, 
I'm, I'm all like up in the air. I've got these sort of like uh, big ideas, and she usually punctures my balloon um, just enough to sort of make it practical. So, you know, she's she's the she's the yin to my yang or whatever that is. Uh, she's the sort of like uh, we balance each other. And yeah. then my, the yeah. last the last way you describe my first marriage was balanced. So I need some balance in my life, right? Absolutely. Hell yeah. That's awesome, man. Colors. Congratulations. I mean, 14 years, that's, you know, that's on the road to forever. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, I'm hopeful. She's, I mean, I, I, she sort of like coped with my midlife crisis. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's ongoing, but like, uh, uh, you know, some guys like buy a Lamborghini or, um, you know, go running around the town with, with escorts. I, I got into stand-up comedy. Um, <laughs> I think that's better. Um, but, you know, my, my, my wife has certainly been tolerant of that, um, uh, even though sometimes she feels like she's like, uh, comedy is my mistress and takes up too much of my time. But Yeah, it's um, funny because I always say that I'm, I'm blessed because we share the interest of stand-up comedy. And mm-hmm. if it was just me... You know, I could, you know, my partner, maybe you could find it annoying or take it up my time and things like that. So I am blessed that we both share the passion because she understands as much as I put into it. I understand as much as she puts into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, my wife has her own hobbies. She's sort of. Yeah. I feel she's, like she's... anything would be, would be good for your partner as long as it's healthy for them. Like they're getting something out of it because at uh... the end of the day, they're going to be happy. And then you don't have to worry about like them finding something outside of the home to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it, I mean, it was it was it has been a big change because like I I I have I put a lot into comedy. Um, yeah. I, I'm like uh, I'm unable to do anything sort of like half measure. So it's kind of uh, you know I, I I I go at it. I'm not I'm not a working comic. Um, I think. I was, I was thinking about this the other day because one of the things I started doing is I've been teaching a comedy class. Ooh, um, oh, wow, that's cool. I'm on staff at a, 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 at a comedy uh, club here. Uh, I'm one of their producers. I put on um, stand-up shows. They're mainly improv, um, and I'm like their token stand-up uh, guy. Uh, and so I've been producing a monthly stand-up show for them. And uh, they didn't have any, they, they have like a, a comedy school and they didn't have any stand-up offerings. So I was talking to the director of the training center and I'm like, why don't you, uh, why don't you have any stand-up classes? And he's like, can't find a teacher. Um, and, uh, you know, like I've had, we've had a few, they don't want to do it. It's like, uh, you know, you know how stand-up comedians are. They're like kind of unreliable sometimes. So they they had a, a series of people who'd done it for like a semester, and then it's like, nah, I don't want to do this again. So um, I I've been um, as well as being a lawyer, which is like my day job. Um, I've been a, an adjunct professor at, at law school for fourteen years. Uh, so I've got some teaching skills. So I'm like, you know, I think I could teach a comedy class. And he's like, would you? He's really excited. So. I am now three weeks into my first um, semester as a comedy teacher. Oh, wow. You just started. Congratulations on that. Yeah. You want to uh, plug that so how people can find out more information on that? 
Yeah, well, so the, uh, the, the organization that I work for is called Stomping Ground Comedy. The website is stompinggroundcomedy.org. Um, you can find it. If you just Google Stomping Ground Comedy Dallas, you'll find it. And we offer, uh, really, I mean, we, we put on shows. It's a sort of, uh, the shows are sort of like, um, Friday and Saturday mainly. We occasionally have something on a Thursday, but, Mainly the shows are concentrated Friday, Saturday nights. We have three slots. So we put on, we put on shows at, at, at 7.30, at 9, and at 11, uh, and at 10.30, um, every weekend. And they also offer training. They have like six or seven levels of improv training. They train in musical improv. They train in sketch writing. And, uh, as of now, they've got one level of stand-up comedy uh, taught by me. And my first class has been, uh, I had 18 people sign up for it. Wow, that's incredible. We, we've had a couple of drops, and we may get a couple more because I had a little come-to-Jesus talk with the class uh, on uh, Thursday uh, because people weren't sending in their homework. And I'm like, guys, in uh, about a month's time, you're going to be on the stage um, telling five-minute sets worth of jokes uh, in front of your family. And if you don't start, like, building uh, your bank of jokes, from uh, you know, in, in two weeks, I want to pick the five minutes that we're going to use. And then we spend the rest of the class practicing it and getting it up there. Because what a lot of people don't realize about stand-up is that it's, it's first and foremost a writing discipline. Yes. Um, you you know, uh, they think that, I, I mean, you've seen this, Sam and Athena, that people think, you know, oh, I'm a funny guy. I always make my friends laugh. I'm going to go on an open mic and I'm going to kill it. And they get up to the mic. They haven't thought about what they're going to say. They just think they're going to talk and the funny's going to come. And then they, uh, the, the, it's crickets. Um, and, <laughs> And then they never do it again and run in embarrassment. So a lot of, a lot of stand-ups uh, have sort of figured it out themselves and they'll scoff at the idea of doing a class. But you can teach. I mean, you can't sort of like take a completely unfunny person and make them into a stand-up. But you can take people who have that sort of basic comedic ability yeah. and give them some tools that will make them better. Right. You know? Just teach them basic joke structure and, and yep. how to do act outs and, you know, the rule of threes. And uh, I've always said, you know, you can't teach somebody to be funny, but you can teach them a joke structure. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, and it's, it's just, and, and the work that I've seen from the students, some of them are, we've just, we've got to the point where we've, first two weeks were like structure and, and not, not having much of their own work, but, this was supposed to be the week where everybody brought in like uh, three bits and we did them in class. And, uh, you know, I, there was some genuinely good stuff. Like uh, I, I, one, of the, one of the techniques we highlighted was the incongruous third, which is uh, where you, yeah, I've, got, I've got one of those that I did. I used this as an example for the class. It's sort of, you know, I've been sort of uh, thinking of my Britishness since the Queen died, and I've been trying to reconnect with my British heritage by uh, drinking lots of tea, um, watching reruns of Downton Abbey, and driving on the left. 
<laughs> and that's that's an incongruous third. It's like the last, the first item sort of sets up the uh, the 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 subject. The second one reinforces it, and the third one is the is the twist that sort of like sends yeah, in the a, silly part, the silly one in a silly direction. Because it's still it's still what you're going for. It's still this general what you're going for, but it would be ridiculous for you to to drive on the left side of the road. Yeah. And one of my students wrote this joke. Uh, he said, like, uh, I'm just sort of uh, recently uh, um, uh, recently divorced and I'm getting back on, into the dating scene and I'm having so much trouble with the apps. I haven't had any success on Tinder. I haven't had any success on Bumbles, Bumble. And I haven't had any success on Ancestry.com. Uh, nice. I'm like that's good. That's a legit joke. And that's, yeah, you know, this is a dude who had no idea that you know he was he made his friends laugh, but now he knows how to be how to make jokes. So yeah, sort of. But yeah, it's kind of like uh, it's it's both um, it, it, it's heartwarming and it's 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 really uh, something that I, I I love doing, but it's also scary because I'm letting loose like. Um, eighteen people potentially on the Dallas comedy scene. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're like uh, molding their minds. Yeah, you're like Doctor Frankenstein. And and if they tell like uh, uh, racist dick jokes, then like, <laughs> what the hell was Parsons doing? I mean, it, <laughs> yeah, that's not uh, mine. <laughs> that one's not we've mine. Been, We've been focusing on the uh we've been focusing on the sort of like punching up, punching down, punching sideways rules. Yeah, yeah I mean if you teach them that, then generally they probably won't they probably won't do that. It's like, hey, yeah, you know, it's it's uh, 2023. Homophobia is not funny anymore. Yeah. Right? Right. It's like it's a sort of like this the subjects that you just shouldn't tackle. Um and and, and you know, it and you shouldn't tackle it because, like, it's wrong. But you also shouldn't tackle it because that's the quickest way to piss off an audience. Yep. And yep. Um, why would you want to alienate potentially half the people in the room? I don't. I don't. You know, you, you've got to go for stuff that's personal and relatable. It's like stuff that you care about that you have some kind of passion or interest in, but that is also accessible to the people who are going to be listening to you. Right. I feel like there's a way uh, there's a way that I've seen it where they can structure the joke where it's almost unassumingly like political and you don't realize it until you're thinking about the joke later after you left the show and everything. They're like, oh, dang, this whole time I thought they were just telling this funny joke. And that one's a real thinker. Like you you think on it like after those are the stealthy ones that I think are fucking amazing. That's what yeah. an edgelord can be if they just restructure their joke. Yeah, yeah. But this, we're trying to produce, uh, I mean, we're a, a non-profit, Stomping Ground Comedy is a non-profit. Uh, and uh, they do a real good work with, I mean, they, do this, they run this program called Improv for Anxiety, right? Oh, Which is- <laughs> Which is supposed to give you tools to sort of like help your anxiety by doing improv. Yeah. I mean, oh, for me, improv is anxiety. Yeah, yes. exactly. Exactly. 
We 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 go to staff meetings and they'll be like, okay, let's have a let's all get into the mood by doing a couple of games, and I'm like, <laughs> fuck no, get me out of here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so I'm I'm like usually the only non-improviser there. Even even the people who do stand-up comedy or sketch, they've got an improv background. So I'm kind of very much in the minority, um, but. It, it it's a great place so they, they do that and they do like improv for caregivers which is to give people who spend time l- looking after uh people who are ill or have alzheimer's or something uh you know an hour to sort of uh, get out of the house and get out of themselves mm-hmm. and um and they're they're and like all of the money we're uh uh we're a fi- um 503 uh c corporation that that sort of all the money gets plowed back into the business um that that isn't spent in costs and you know they uh, we we don't generally uh, we're not able to pay our comics very much uh it's usually just gas money um uh if that i mean our our, our artistic director uh, always talks about how you know if you train um if you do their six levels of improv you can go on to a career where you make ones of tens of dollars uh, <laughs> uh for for your for your performances but so it's it's not like it's not like one of the corporate clubs um i mean look don't get me wrong i will take stage time anywhere i can get it uh yeah. i'll um, i i'll perform in 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 any comedy club in dallas but i love being a part of this one because mm-hmm. it kind of approaches it in a different way yeah so, uh so as part of that we kind of like we, we, we're very much, um, in the diversity, equity and inclusion. And, uh, we want to, we want to sort of like send out comics that we train that, that aren't going to be, uh, telling jokes that, um, you know, Joe Rogan would like. We, 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 we're a different kind of, uh, outfit. So it, it, it's been important for, you know, it's, at the core of all of our sort of teaching. Is you know we want to have comedy be something that enlightens and 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 sort of embraces uh, and is inclusive rather than being um, something that divides. What? <clears throat> I don't Sorry. know how I did that. Sorry I don't know that. why you did that. <laughs> I, that was, was I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. I was trying to mute it for a second, but I didn't mean to do that anyway. <coughs> that's really cool, man. That's that's a really good gig. Yeah. I had no idea you were doing that. And you're just like, you're just helping these young upcoming comics. And you're just starting. Essentially, you're helping them develop their comedy bones. And then when they go off from you to open mics, they're developing their muscles. Yeah. And that's just fucking cool. You never know who you're training next and and teaching next. And they always remember you. Because we interviewed Precious Chong and she taught comedy courses and Linda Camacho was saying how much it helped her help help her self esteem, help her, you know, to grow. And uh, I, I really think that that you're doing such a fucking fab job. That's so cool. Thank you. I yeah. mean, I, that's how I started. I mean, like when I had my midlife crisis um, a few years ago. I've been doing comedy. This fall will be four years. Um, and uh, I started off by doing a class. At a, at a local club 
um, Dallas Comedy House. It died during the pandemic, and and it's it's sorely missed. It was a great club, mm-hmm. uh, but they had a training center, and I um, I work with my first teacher now. Um, we did we sort of. Oh. We hosted an open mic together for a bit, and I see him around, and I book him, and he books me. And, oh, that's uh, it, cool. It's like uh, he's, he's... Oh. Did we freeze? Somebody froze. Oh. But uh, he he taught me the basics of joke structure, and I, and I, I think that that doing that class is the reason that I'm still in comedy. Um, because I, I didn't have to figure it all out on my own. And anybody can sort of like do open mics and work out the hard way that you need to spend some time writing. Then you go by Judy Carter's Comedy Bible and you work through it and <laughs> you figure it out. Well, some people never do. Because, you know, like uh, I don't have any aspirations to be a working comic. I'm a married man. i got a 12-year-old daughter. I need to keep my day job. I, I can't sort of like uh I can't move to New York to try and make it. Mm-hmm. I mean it's like I, I can't move to LA. I can't sort of like go on the road taking uh host gigs for fifty bucks a night and living in uh, my car. That that's sort of like off the table. So I consider myself like a serious hobbyist. Um but you've got some people who uh are content just to be open mic comics. <laughs> you know, they, they 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 go they go down to uh, the local uh, open mics. They tell a few dick jokes, and then they tell all their friends they're a comedian. Um, I don't think they're entitled. I mean, look, I'm not going to police the use of the of the title uh, comedian, but I don't think um, I, I don't think that's it. You know what I mean? I think I think there are far too many people, and like you've seen this on the zooms. You've got people who just come on and they just ramble about about their day and uh, oh yeah, key topics, genitals, how many <laughs> genitals <laughs> yeah, uh, and their body count in terms of sexual partners. I mean, it's just like uh, and and then you can only hear so many of those before you want to you know like slit your throat. Um, but definitely, yep. But but then then you've got some gems out there like you two always do a bang up job of telling mm-hmm. telling thoughtful jokes that you've obviously put time into. Um, We're noticing, but <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's just you know the I and like the pandemic was was the worst thing that's happened in my lifetime. Don't get me wrong; it's like it was awful. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. so many people died, so many people lost their jobs. It threw the country into chaos. Um, but, but the the sort of silver lining to that was all the comedians that went on the Zoom because they desperately needed an outlet for their comedy, and and all of the community that I've met. And I, I've yeah, like absolutely. I've done a couple of festivals uh, since the pandemic. Uh, well, it's not over, but since we sort of like got back out there, and like I went, I went to Burbank uh, last um, uh, August, and I got to oh, meet. Wow. I got to meet like uh, uh, a couple of dozen of these people that I'd only ever seen in a little box on the screen. <laughs> um, 
I was like, uh, I met I met Walter Gottlieb, uh, guy out guy out of Maryland, um, uh, who's always been a favorite of mine. Um, and then I a the bunch of bunch of people that are that fan. Um, oh, uh, wow. oh, you got to be that fan. That's cool. I'm a I'm a that fan disciple. I'm one, I'm a that fan fan. He's he does this show. No, I'm a friend. Like he's he's got this show that he still does on Zoom, like three times a week, called That Fan and Friends. I'm a regular. Um, That's cool. I've done it a few. I've done it a few times, but not for a while. What this dude has done is he has built a comedy club in his garage. Wow. He's, I mean, it's full. It's got it's got a stage. He's got like. The capacity to sort of integrate Zoom into it. He's got like an, an audience area. Uh, and, um, when That's I was incredible. out there at the Burbank Comedy Festival, uh, I went out to his house to do his show. So, oh, wow. So he actually, so he does shows in his garage and people come. He and- does shows in his garage, but it's not, but it's not just like some dude in his garage. He's turned it into a club. Uh, that's like the that's the dream right there that's what we wanted to do before the pandemic (laughs) so he's got like and then so he's sort of talking about building on knocking a wall down so he can have some more seats in so he can get some and you know right now it's mainly comics but but the guy you remember sam if you've done his shows before he's very particular oh yeah to sort of like have their cameras on all the time yeah Uh, he wants people to concentrate um, I got it. I was looking down. I was eating some pizza while I was doing a show of his last week, and I was trying to be discreet. And I was like bending oh. down and uh, taking a bite. And he sent me a picture uh, of myself, a screenshot of me bending down. And he was like, "Are you okay, David?" Um, and uh, I-, I responded, "That I'm discreetly trying to eat pizza." He's like, "Pizza's fine." But don't be discreet. Just eat it on screen. And uh, oh, so, yeah, because I know he does. He's very big on um, not having distractions. Like he does not want you to put your pets in the screen, like yeah. things like that. Like no distractions at all, because everybody should be focused on the comedian that's performing. Like a lot of people think he's strict and harsh, but I mean, there's a there's a rhyme to the there's a rhyme to the reason or whatever it's called. You that's know, there's a there's a method to the madness. And if you don't like it, then just don't associate with him, you know? But I think he's very fair. Do you want to know a really funny story about that? Yeah. Okay, so you all know Ed Smythe, of course, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Ed Smythe was making his debut on That Fan and Friends on a a show that I was on. Um, And and what, what what that does is he will take anybody to do like a four-minute audition set. And uh, so Ed Smythe shows up, and he's not wearing any strange costume. <laughs> and he's sitting in this room with all these chintzy curtains, and he's, he looks perfectly normal. Um, but then at some point, uh, he, he moves off camera, and that's like, if you need to go to the bathroom or get a snack, you know, leave your camera on. Don't take us with you. Leave your camera on. Uh, come back. So at some point, Ed goes off and gets into his caveman costume. Um, the best, the best character. I love that character so much. Ugh, son of Og. And so that's the <laughs> one. I'm like, I'm, and before this, I thought, what, what is he? Is he going to do straight comedy? Is he just going to? 
Uh, but no, he got dressed and dad couldn't handle it. He was so distracted by, and I, I kept saying he was like really agitated. And, uh, and then, um, Ed, Ed got up and did his uh, routine when it was his turn. And, um, and, and, and then basically he's, you know, that, that unloaded at the, he, he didn't say anything when Ed was there, but at the next show, he was like, we had this guy. He dressed as a caveman. He was so distracted. <laughs> He's like, he was just, just in the screen and nobody was paying attention to the comics. And, uh, there was, and they like, fair oh, enough. because he had to keep his camera on. And usually Ed will keep his camera off until his sets. Exactly. So for that he, reason, probably. So people will just stare at him. He was just sitting there, like caveman in the in the in the, in the, in the Zoom <laughs> wow. window. So, uh, yeah, it was it was uh, it was a trip. It really was. That's hilarious. Oh, That's wow. hilarious. Wow. Yeah, no, I like that fan. You know, I would I would do his show in person too. Uh, you know, like I said, you know, he has rules and he's a little bit strict. And if you don't like it, then just don't do his stuff. You know, really, it's his stuff, and he can run it any way he wants. Yeah, but no disrespect to anybody else. You'll you'll do a great Zoom show. Uh, I used to run. I ran, I ran a mic like I did seventy of them during the pandemic. I, I thought I did a good Zoom show, but that fan, yeah, does absolutely the best Zoom show. I mean, every, sometimes you get audience, but he kind of like he kicks audience out if they misbehave. Um, <laughs> yeah, and the normally, thing is, oh, go ahead. Normally, it's just the comics, but it's like. They all pay attention, and it is the best place I know to try out new material. And if you want to record yourself on Zoom, it's the best place to do it because the comics are attentive and paying attention and laughing. Yeah, so you get laughter, and you get those sort of uh, you, you get those endorphins going, and it's really you know yeah. it it just yeah I I mean I make time every week to do I'm I'm doing one uh, I'm doing one this afternoon. I should I should now I'm nostalgic. I feel like I should contact <laughs> him and try to do one of his shows. Yeah. Um, do it. You know, so I did an online mic for like almost three years during this pandemic, you know. And I was doing it for a while before I really got to know Dat Fan and, and started doing his stuff. But I feel like I really um I mean I wasn't like strict and you know, kick people out and stuff, but I feel like I really like adopted some of his structure with the mic and i feel like seeing the way he ran his mic made me a better mic runner myself yeah no i did totally agree i i started doing his mic um when i was still running mine and and it sort of yeah because because it's just like it's basic politeness and like if you go if you go to an open mic uh in, in a live venue and and you're gonna sort of like be sitting there uh waiting to go up. And then you go up and perform. Half of the comics are at the bar, yep. half of the comics are outside having a smoke. Um the ones that are in the room are probably hunched over their notebooks, like looking at their own material. <laughs> yep, and or just talking to each other. You you rarely get any civilians um who are there to actually watch. It's it's all very so you know, the idea of sort of like wasting two, three hours on on that kind of experience. Or worse yet, I mean, people sort of like try and hit three mics a night, so they, they're in and they're out and they don't respect the other comics. Yeah, I've seen that a lot like, too. 
So so this is this is like uh I, I will do that fan over um a live mic um uh, most of the time because even though it's on Zoom and some of the things like work differently, like the technique you have to remember to sort of like deliver the camera rather than yeah. sort of uh yeah but it's it's just it is a and certainly for the the LA comics who get to go in studio. It's great. I mean, he, he has, he has a devoted following and, and it's for a very good reason because the man is an example. I mean, yeah. he's really, he's a top notch comic who has really embraced the community and he's yeah. got this sort of like group. I mean, he, he has 700, 800 comics in his database, but he has about 70 people who come through regularly and do it, you know, every week or every other week. And it's just like we've all sort of got to know each other. Anyway, I met a bunch of those folks when I was out in LA for the Burbank Festival. Wonderful. And it was just like, you know, seeing these people in the flesh that all I'd seen is in a little box on a screen was 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 a marvelous experience. I can't wait for us to be able to have more yeah, of those. Me too. It's always so fun. I always get the yeah. weirdest like uh things like, oh, I didn't expect you to look like that or stuff like that. <laughs> like you saw me on screen a lot. The <laughs> one thing that a lot of people don't get about me because all they've ever seen is my head and shoulders is I'm actually six foot, seven inches tall. Holy Wow. Crap. You're six, seven. I'm six, seven. Whoa. Wow. I'm six, seven. I'm 350 pounds. I'm like, I'm a big guy. Oh and my gosh! So you're security. You're security off the bat. I used to work. <laughs> I used to work. Um, I used to be a bouncer in um, in college. Wow! Uh, I, I worked at the local nightclub. There was like they, they tended to hire people from the rugby team, and I wasn't on the rugby team, but I was friends with some of them. So I got a job, and uh, you know, I never had to sort of like do anything physical. Because uh, like the air of sort of menace that a uh, a tall um, and pretty well uh, bulky guy uh, can right. is usually enough. But I, I was the intimidation was always, factor, absolutely. I used to hate working with the short bouncers because they were like aggro. They want they got something to prove. You know the 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 little guys who uh, pumped a lot of iron and and probably took some some steroids, uh, and were just just like itching to sort of like prove how tough they were. Nightmare to work with, you know. It's like whereas I could sort of like if there was a drunk patron, I could sort of convince them to leave. You know, with with, <laughs> with, a, stern, with a stern look and a word. The, the the little guys are like, come on, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna get you. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. So yeah, yeah. As in a past life, yeah, I was a, a bouncer. So that's wow. crazy. Man, being tall sounds so fun. I can't imagine. <laughs> oh, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead, Sam. I was saying, I can't imagine you being like just like menacing, like intimidated, you know. You see, I, I, I work really hard to give off a, a, a vibe of not being intimidating. Like, you look, you, <laughs> like, you look like young Santa. 
like, like Santa <laughs> before he accepted his Santa-ly duties, you know? You know what you I'm see, saying? But, but on a dark night, walking down <laughs> a, a dimly lit street, I do not. So it's sort of like, I, I have people street. cross the street to avoid walking past me. Oh, it's, it's, whoa. Sometimes. So like when, when I meet people in person, I really want to like, de-emphasize my height i want to i I don't (laughs) slouch or anything but like i've got i've I've developed this sort of like bubbly cuddly personality that um uh is sort of supposed to detract from the air of menace that i could provide we were we've been watching night court the old night court oh cool we're obsessed but we've been watching the old night court and there was an episode where one of the characters bull who's like the really tall bailiff um by uh and he was like everybody looks at me like I'm this big old monster and 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 I'm just this scary thing I'm not a I'm not a beast and then everybody's like all scared because he's so like passionate saying it and then he goes and it's so crazy because you don't think about that tall people would have to like be present in a more gentler way because just being tall is like menacing i try not to like raise my voice like i don't yell i'm not a yeller like uh i you know i've worked in law firms i worked at the same law firm for 20 years and uh, I've, I've encountered my fair share of screamers. Um, oh. you know, lawyers don't have a great reputation sometimes for being easy to work with, but I've always, you know, bent over backwards to be nice to people. And so, like, I, I want to convey, and I, that's what I try and do on stage as well. Like, I, I, my, my on stage persona isn't far different from how I am in real life, but, I really try and accentuate the uh, the the niceness. So I, I I don't I don't have an angry. If I had an angry comedy style, <laughs> <laughs> the place would just run out of the room screaming. Yeah, I mean it, that that just that would that would work to to my disadvantage. So I I, I tell sort of whimsical um, jokes. I, I sort of lean a lot on the Englishness, and uh, and I talk a lot about my kid. Um, I'm like, yeah, I got a 12 year old. She's, uh, she, she's, she's, she's just starting to, um, sort of like, well, we've been in the preteen years for, for, for a bit now, but she's just starting to like, uh, you know, and, you know, I work hard, so I don't, I don't, my wife does an awful lot of the sort of like hands on. So I'm like, I think she sees me as the soft touch parent a bit. And I'm also kind of like with with the law practice and everything else I do, I'm not. So I've started to sort of like carve out like one day a week, I pick her up from school and I take her for a snow cone. It's our little thing. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And we we didn't have a chance this week because I had meetings and she had some uh, stuff after school. So uh, we did it yesterday. I took her out for dinner to the local Jason's Deli. Uh, we both liked the salad bar and then we went for a snow cone. We had a nice long chat and she was like telling me, uh, she's like, um, why is mom? So, uh, so much of a hard ass. I'm like, well, cause you know, she, she's always talking. She's always trying to get Sarah to get off her, uh, iPad and do something constructive. And, uh, and she actually, she's like, I hate her. I'm like, <laughs> 
But it's like, I'm like, you don't, you don't hate your mother. You love your mother. And she's like, she won't, she won't ever let me. She just like always wants to, she's a control freak. And I'm like, I'm like, this is kind of like, uh, this is, this is a parenting moment. This is sort of like, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to tolerate like her talking smack about her mom. But I also didn't want to come off as being an asshole. So I didn't want to close down. I wanted her to feel comfortable yeah. talking to me. Absolutely. So I'm like, you know, your mother loves you. She's got your best interests at heart. I know it's hard. And and also I realize that like right now, you know, like early teens, uh, girls tend to sort of butt heads with their mothers. But then when they get a little bit older, it tends to be the dad that gets the head button. And so in a couple of years, she'll be hating me. Um, (laughs) And I was telling her this, and I'm like, you say you hate your mom now, you're going to hate me in a couple of years. Because, you know, I'm not, you think I'm a soft touch because you think I'm the fun parent, but you, me and your mother are on exactly the same page. You are on your iPad too much. Um, and then she, she's sort of like, she's angling. She really badly wants a smartphone. She wants an iPhone so bad. And we, we're not, we're not going to let her have one because, um, I, you know, I'm in total agreement with my wife that a 12 year old does not need like a powerful supercomputer in their pocket because they, you know, they, I don't want that kid anywhere near TikTok. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I try and do the social media. I, I've done, I've got a TikTok account. I've got, I think my, my best viewed video has like 600 views. I'm terrible at it, but oh, nice. while I'm on there, like it throws up sort of like, you may want to see, uh, this video. And, and for some reason, they show me sometimes like, I don't know what, 14 year olds twerking. And I'm like, I don't want to see 14 year olds twerking. I really don't. And I especially don't want to see my 14-year-old twerking. Yeah, exactly. You know, when I first, uh, years and years ago, when I first saw TikTok um, advertising stuff, I mean, that's all, that was what all the advertisements were, is like little kids like trying to be all sexy. And it was like, this is yeah. such a weird thing. And then when it started popping up in the comedy community, I was like, what? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. You know? But it, I mean, I guess you could do whatever you want with it, but that's what they were kind of banking on in the beginning, I think. I like the animal videos. Yeah. That's my addiction. I will watch a freaking three minute video all the way through about a freaking pigeon that just fell out of a tree and is getting mended back to health. And look, this pigeon was able to pigeon again. Yeah. That, that's my thing. That's my addiction on TikTok. Pigeons got a pigeon, right? <laughs> right. Yep, they do. But yeah, I was kind of blown away when all these comics were putting like sets and or jokes on TikTok. Uh, and that became like all the rage during the pandemic. Yeah. That's that's yeah. what I appreciated during that time because it really showed uh, a lot of the time what comedians were uh, really embracing two things. The ability to become flexible and mm-hmm. the ability to step up and make their own opportunities. Yeah, think outside the box mm-hmm. a little bit. And as a producer, and 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 I think maybe maybe you relate to this too, David, is like, as a producer, you're always watching people because you never know who's like out there and you're like, damn, that I want to book that one. 
Yeah. Like you're always watching. You're always on the look. Cause you know, if you you don't have a show that you you would recommend that one to somebody. Oh yeah. 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 It's like, you've got to, there's so many people trying to do comedy. Uh, I, and D- Dallas is like, uh, we've got, I don't know. We've got three or four of the big corporate clubs in town. We've got a, uh, hyenas we've got an improv we've got uh the plano house of comedy we've got dallas comedy club mm-hmm. we've got we've got a, a bunch of decent venues we've got an awful lot of open mics in 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 bars we got bar shows mm-hmm. we've got uh plenty of the, but there are like hundreds of comedians trying to trying to make it and you know you've got to find some way to differentiate yourself yeah. And uh, I, I totally admire. I've kind of like my the path that I chose to cut is I've got like connected with this nonprofit, Stomping Around Comedy. Go to stompingaroundcomedy.org if you want to find out more. Um, and so that's like my home base. But I also sort of like a network, and pe- people know. And, and, and you know, one of the things I've been trying to teach my class is. Being funny is important in comedy, but being a professional is almost more important because everybody can be funny. Everybody can get a crowd laughing if they've got the basic comedy ability. But what workers appreciate is showing up on time. You know, if call time is 7.30, be there at 7.30. Don't waltz in five minutes before the show. Give the host your intro. Make it easy for the host to be able to put you up. And don't ever, under any circumstances, run the light. I mean, it's just uh, teaching the basics of professionalism. Yeah. Um, I got I got a reputation for being not only funny, but professional. Mm-hmm. So pe- people book me because they know I'm not going to flake on them. They know I'm not going to sort of like call them up half an hour before the show and say, hey, I can't do it. Um, they know I'm going to be there on time and they know I'm going to st- stick around and be supportive of the other comments. Yeah, exactly. That's so, a key component too. It is, yeah. Yeah. Because if you book somebody they leave early all the time, you're probably not going to book them as much. Well, what people don't realize, what a lot of comics don't realize is the comedy is a business. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you want to make money by uh, making people laugh. Mm-hmm. You want to sort of, uh, you want to be a place where people think, last time I went there, I had a great show. Every comic on the bill was funny. Uh, it was yeah. wonderful. You know, we were in and out on time. The food and drinks were good. And so, you know, when you're taking a booking from uh, a club, you have got to be, business minded you've got to make sure that you get along and uh i um during the pandemic one of the comedy clubs that sort of like had a really good online presence was flappers yeah yeah they did i did a a bunch of shows with flappers i auditioned they had the online auditions and i did a bunch of their online shows Mm -hmm. and i've been there every time i go to la i try and um get some stage time there and uh, Josh the Booker is usually uh, very accommodating if he can be. Yes. Um, but sort of like uh, they're like they, they they are all about professionalism, and uh, 
you know, the, the they have a, a, a training center there. They call it um, Flappers University or FU. Um, <laughs> I like it. And, and they're, uh, um, the, the guy who runs the training center there puts out a weekly newsletter, which is all about, it, it, it's like tips how to make it in comedy. And, um, you know, that's a great read. I advise anybody to sort of like go somewhere and give them your email and, um, and, and get on that mailing list because it's a really good read full of tips on how to make it, you know, how to, how to produce your own shows, how to get rebooked, how to communicate with bookers. But, but what a lot of comics, what, what's holding a lot of comics back? Is the inability to view this as a business? Yeah, I, guess now, I just think being funny is enough. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's good that those things are available as a resource because I remember when I first started, I didn't really have any resources, <laughs> and I kind of just had to do it on the fly. And I feel like right. I could have cut a lot of like unnecessary. Uh, struggle <laughs> with yeah. just some basics, starting with just some basics. So, yeah, so that, that, that's another plug. I mean, like, I'm not necessarily plugging my class, um, but if, if you're in Dallas, um, you're certainly most welcome. But take a class. Yeah. Most most clubs, most clubs of any size sort of, I mean, in, in every city, there's going to be at least one place that offers training. And, um, although people see stand up as this, like, you know, uh, lone wolf kind of thing, um, that, that you either, you either have the ability or you don't. Yeah. I think that's entirely wrong. Yeah. I think that you need to be funny, but you also can benefit from being taught not only joke structure and how to, you know, conduct yourself on stage, but also how to conduct yourself as a businessman. Yeah. Or, it's like a uh, business person. I mean, you, you know, it just the, the basics of professionalism. So I, I will consider myself a success as a teacher if my students leave the class with type five that they can perform that's legit funny, but that they also know how to conduct themselves so they're able to get bookings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, and you I'm, know, you're not teaching them just the joke structure, but you're also teaching them like comedy etiquette. Yeah. Like how, how not to piss off bookers, how not to piss <laughs> off You know, and don't expect that like, you go, okay, so you, you do your five minute showcase and your friends all laugh at you. You're not going to get a call from Saturday Night Live the next day. You're not going to get a Netflix special. You're going to have to do a bunch of open mics and try and catch someone's eye. <laughs> Do some guest spots and just work your way up. And, uh, you know, I, I bet you of this class, there's probably, uh, of 18 people, there's probably two or three who are going to take it seriously and go on. Some people just want to do it to say they've done it. Oh, I did it. It was uh, scary. I'm not doing that again. Some people, but, you know, the the serious ones are going to, um, are going to take some of the lessons on board and then they're going to go out and they're going to become productive members of the Dallas comedy community. And, uh, and that, that'll be a success. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some of them around. 
Hell yeah. Yeah. And then you never know which one of those people, like they see another comedy person and they take them under their wing and they're kind of teaching the same principles. So it's almost like, like a really good supportive effect. I feel like when the community is supportive of each other, it really makes the whole uh, thing thrive. I mean, yeah. you don't always have to be over there patting someone on the back, but you could just like be uh, cordial. I mean, look, <laughs> comedy, comedy could be, I mean, there's only a limited number of spots in any city, right? Yeah. Any so we're all in competition with each other. But we, we, it's just, I don't believe that the right way to go about being a success in this business is to trample on yeah. my competitors. Like, I want I, I want to lift other comics up. And, um, you know, the, the chance I, I got, I got, I got like, uh, I, I book a show a month pretty much. Sometimes two, sometimes, sometimes, uh, I don't do, uh, I skip a month, but I try and like book a diverse lineup mm-hmm. of people, um, of different, I mean, look, the, the, there's a big sort of, uh, imbalance sometimes between men and women. Uh, and this is like, Time, time immemorial in comedy. You get like a couple of uh, women and uh, ten men on a on a showcase. I, I don't do that. I try and have some kind of gender balance. I try and make uh, m- make my lineups um, uh, racially balanced. Um, I try and book uh, comics from different uh, racial backgrounds. Yeah, a lot of diversity. Yeah, it's there. Right. Like it's there. There's you enough, know, right? There's enough comics. You know, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, look, no, nobody needs another lineup of uh, of all white men. Um, yeah. It's just, it's, it's just, and I like. Uh, There's not a shortage. There's not a shortage. <laughs> there is not a shortage, and I, you know, I, I don't always do it, but I host quite a lot of my shows. So I, lo- I love being in the host position. I do too. I love hosting as well. It's it's like because because it's uh, I think and and I'm not one of you know some hosts like like to throw in a, a call back or something. I'll do that occasionally, but normally I just want to build up. I want to get the credits or or whatever the comic wants for their intro and i want to build up the audience like i'll do a i'll do a a short set and sort of warm up the room and then every comic gets a kick-ass intro from me like uh it it it, it's uh it's an art it it really is of sort of like pumping the crowd up for the next comic and i i want like any comic that's on a show that i'm producing to succeed uh in that room I want him to have uh, as as good a shot as possible at getting a killer set in there. And if you're walking out on stage to applause from a host that's uh, from an audience that's been pumped up by a host that knows what they're doing, um, I think that's uh, that that's that's a great way to start. Oh yeah, but, yeah absolutely. Really setting them up for success. I, I'm not able to pay my comics in the main. I will throw them some gas money if I can. Um, but I get people come back uh, time and time again because you know it's a, they they enjoy working with me, yeah, and Feels it's good. a good place to get reps in. I mean, it's sort of it's stage time. Everybody wants stage time, and uh, you know it's just like 
I, I want I want to be I, I want to be remembered as uh, somebody who added to the comedy scene. Um, who, who, you know, if, if like we, we had a, we had a local, uh, comedian and, um, and, and producer die rather suddenly, um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Zach Sprung, uh, I'll, I'll call him that. And he was a, he was a great guy. He, he loved comedy and he loved, he loved comedians and he, he was always wanting to help people. The amount of people who got their first paid gig from Zach. Is 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 incredible, and we were all extremely sad. So we, we I had a show, um, um, sort of the day after, and, and uh, you know he died suddenly, um, and we, I had a show the day after he died where uh, it was called Fifty First Jokes, Fifty Comics, First One Minute, First Joke of the Year. It was like the 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 first Saturday in uh, in January. And um, wow, that's cool. But when I went out to sort of like introduce the the the, the show and and kick things off, I I I I asked for a moment of thought for for Zach and his family, and I dedicated the show to him because that's what we everybody had a Zach story, and, and that's how I want to be remembered. You know, when I go. Uh, that it, that, that, that I sort of like, that, that, that I made the scene better. That I, yeah. um, uh, you know, I left it a little better than I found it. Yeah. So that, that, that's the biggest compliment anyone could pay to me. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I like that. Uh, I, I like the, the feeling of, um, I don't know, that sense of community and that you contribute in a positive way. And I know that it's uh, hard to be positive sometimes around a lot of people that are uh, really not going through the best moments of their life. That's why they've been drawn to comedy half the time. But uh, I think knowing that, okay, even if I'm not like really close to you as a comedian, I'll still help you out if you need it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're a kind of a, we're a club. We're a community. Yeah, we're, that's a good like, way to look at it. it, it it's just, you know, I, I want to lift up other comics because, you know, look, if if I sort of uh, get a, a gig by elbowing somebody else out of the way, uh, I don't want that gig. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I'd ra- I would rather see somebody else get, get that stage time than have to be... Uh, uh, you know, the, the, then fail to be true to myself um, in the way that I deal with people. So I'm mm-hmm. a straight shooter. I mean, yeah. and, and I think it helps is that like I'm kind of like comfortable with my 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 comedy goal is to be a reliable local feature. And if yeah, I can get that, if I can get there in ten years, um, that would be. I have no aspirations to be on Saturday Night Live. I have no aspirations to headline. Uh, I just want to tell jokes, and I want I want to I want people to think you know if I need a reliable um, if I need a reliable feature, I want them to think of me. Um, and you know, I, I'm not there yet. I've got I've got like uh, I could probably string a forty minute set together. If we wanted to be totally tight, you know, I, I'm really comfortable at the 15, 20 minute uh, kind of mark. 
Um, uh, I've, I've got lots of, uh, there's lots of stuff to choose from, um, in, in terms of my material. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm always trying to work. And this is, not, I've been trying to impress with my students right every yeah. day, every single day, even those days you don't feel funny, even those days you don't, just 10 minutes. And if you can't think of anything to write, start making lists of things that you might be able to write. Sort of like just take a subject and write down everything you can think about it and try and make connections. That's and that's good. I like that idea. Good. See if you can develop a premise out of uh, and and then come back to it on the day that you do feel like writing. But every day you should sit down in some dedicated time and 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 just sort of practice the craft of comedy. Oh man, uh, that's exciting. I, I feel like so excited for you because. It's such a um, it's such a good like relationship you're going to have when you're teaching your students, because I mean, of course, they're going to be learning from you, but it almost is going to help you generate more jokes for yourself, because one, you you have to be more attentive to like your jokes that you see in normal life, but also to like how your students are reacting in class. I'm pretty sure they make you laugh just being the way they act or, or something like that. Yeah, so of course they do. Fun. They are, they are they actually like, okay, so I've, I've got a joke that I, I do this sort of like, I do this bit about marriage sex um, that I, that's been in my act. It's been my like opener for a while. And, and, and one of the things I say is like, you know, uh, Married sex with a twelve-year-old in the house is is like uh, not 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 as great. That's the whole sort of thesis of the of the bit. But I got this one line: "It's like we don't Netflix and chill, we Disney Plus and guilt trip." <laughs> <laughs> so when I was like going through the uh, the exercise, showing the, uh, a writing technique to the students, I actually sort of I told them that that I'd got that joke. Well, I told them that I had a joke about, you know, uh, a, a married married with kids alternative to Netflix and chill. So I broke it down and I wrote like streaming services on one side of the uh, dry erase board and things married couples with children do on the other side. And so we made these two lists together. Um, and then I actually got two tags for my own joke out of that. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, That's fun. That's awesome. So we came up with um, Hulu and I've Got a Headache <laughs> and Peacock and Nocock. Nice. So it's like, see, I, I got stuff from my act from, from the class. Wonderful. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. I feel like that's going to be so uh, fun, fun and exciting for you. Yeah, like a whole new world that you never knew existed. Mm. So that's it. I mean, like, you know, being being a married man with a kid and a job, I've got a limited amount of time to devote to comedy in, in, in any given week. So I've kind of, like, put some of the performing on the back burner to do this teaching gig. Yeah, I can um, see that. And I'm okay with that. It's, like, it seems very rewarding. Absolutely. It's it, I, it's Yeah, I want to perform. And, yeah, I, I like, like, I'm... I people who might be listening to this in Dallas, I am available for bookings. Um, 
Hell yeah. Uh, I, I really, and, and I'm good and I'm professional. I've got a bunch of material. It's PG 13 in the mm-hmm. main. I don't go full blue usually. I can work clean. I've done like, I did my first corporate gig last year. That was a trip. Hell yeah. I did like, uh, I, I discovered, and so, since so this is like the business side of me, um, uh, showing in, up in comedy. I found out that a local chamber of commerce in one of the cities close to Dallas, a place called Terrell, which is about 30 miles away, was having a, they had a, a link to, to Britain in the, uh, in World War II, there was a flight school there that trained British pilots. Whoa. And, and so they had, the chamber of commerce was putting on a British bash one weekend. Which had a, a like a, a street market um, and uh, food trucks, and they had booked a Beatles cover band to perform. So I wrote, I found out who the director of events was for the Chamber of Commerce, and I wrote, I sent them an email with my resume and a clip and a pitch that they might want to hire me to open for the Beatles band, and uh, and they hired me. Oh my gosh, Whoa. that is so rad. So I got, I got it. And they, then, then they asked me, you know, what my price was. And I was like, uh, I, so I had to think about it. And I, I like, I gave them a, a, a moderate. I, it, I thought it was a bit of a reach and would be able to negotiate, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were like, that sounds great. So I'm like, damn, right. I should have asked them more. <laughs> <laughs> But it's like, yeah, I'd I'd love to move and I'd love to do some more corporate work, um, because that's you know, but 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 you know, but then again, my aim is not to make the most money I can out of comedy. If yeah. I can make comedy be a break-even kind of thing for me, I do this for Absolutely. the love of the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a lawyer. I'm always going to be a lawyer. But being a lawyer who's a comedian, I mean, this this is this is where I get the joy out of my life. Yeah. Um, it's sort of, it's sort of, I think I've always had this creative spark that I needed an outlet for. And, uh, so that's why my midlife crisis manifested itself like this is that I wanted to have the ability to put my like creative soul into something. And it's pretty hard to do that when you're a corporate lawyer. You know, <laughs> yeah. You, you can do the, 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 you could do the, Corporate lawyer and the corporate comedy in the same uh, the same day, yeah, <laughs> for the same party. <laughs> that was cool, but it, almost it's like I crossed that off the list now. Like I've done corporate <laughs> bookings, and I'll do them again. I don't I don't mind making money, but what what I what I really love is making people laugh and uh, making people feel um, uh, better because oh, sometimes. Yeah. That's the best. That's like the the part that I really love because I remember being uh, in a comedy show, watching the comedian, and I can feel just like in the crowd how that felt and that feeling of just like forgetting all the things that you worry about just for that moment, that person's set and just like feeling it all the way through. I wanted to give that to other people. And that's why I love comedy is because I love giving them that moment where they're just like the worry brain is off and they're yes. just like letting themselves enjoy happy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's right. 
And that's what that's why I don't want to be an edge lord. That's why I don't want to be uh, an insult comic. That's why I don't. I will do it, but I don't really enjoy roast battles. Yeah, yeah. It's kind I don't of know like, if I can. I've never done it. I don't know if I can. It's hurting feelings. Oh, I, I can because I've been I've been a lot, and you know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I I like to win as a lawyer, but you know I also win with 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 dignity and by not being an asshole. Like I, yeah, you, you can advocate for your client without sort of trying to destroy the other person on the other side of the lawsuit. Yeah, that's uh, that that's one thing that that I've learned uh, over practice, and then that's not so very different from comedy. You can sort of like be funny and make people laugh. Um, but you, but you, you, and you can, you can do that by sort of skewering other people, but you don't have to, you can take a milder, you can take a, a much sort of gentler approach. Yeah. And that's how I, I, I like to think of my comedy as like quirky and sort of, uh, some of it's self-deprecating, but, but it's also like, I want it to be relatable. I talk a lot. I'm so, some a lot of my new material is about how I relate to my my kid, and um, it's just sort of that's that's a universal thing. Yeah, and a lot of people can relate to that. Absolutely, other people can relate to that, and they also and, and a lot of people sort of like they kind of like the English, so they um they they they, they like hearing uh, stories or, or or sort of my English perspective on on. And that, that's more what I do, like my English perspective on America. Um, but it's sort of like I've got this kind of unique, I straddle both worlds. Like I'm half, <laughs> I've, I've almost spent half my life here. Yeah, that's um, so crazy that you, you, know, you said half your life here, half your life there, pretty much. But, I, but all my time here has been as an adult. Like I grew up in England, so I'm thoroughly English. Um, and, and, and yet I'm also sort of very Texan in, in, in many ways. And yeah, Texas gets a bad rap. I mean, our governor's an asshole. Uh, we've got the attorney general who's a crook. But like Texan people, you will not find you'll you'll go a long way to find a more welcoming and um and 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 caring um folks than Texans. Wow. They're generous of spirit and um, and welcoming. They're, they're real. They're real stand-up guys. And I think you know a, a lot of people. Texas is Texas is getting a a, a bad rap uh, nationwide for some of its politics. But if you go, if you try and sort of like leave the politics aside and look at it on a human level, there's an awful lot. A lot of people want to come to Texas. There's a lot of people move here. We're a, yeah. A well, the comedy uh, seems really like booby in Austin. Right I was now. just gonna mention that, yeah. that you got you. I mean, you've been there for what? I think you said 22 years. So yeah. you got to witness it before people started moving over there. I feel like you guys probably had an influx of a lot of you know transplants during the pandemic. Yeah. So yeah. oh, yeah. uh, maybe that's why you got the bad rap because now you've got a nice little, what? Uh, uh, how, how would you call it? Invasion outsiders. Oh, yeah, all right, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of Californians have been. Yeah, 
Because, you know, we got like a business friendly environment. And uh, it was a lot more lax during the pandemic, from what I understand, too. And then your comedy got boom big. Like, everything shut down for a few months, but like the comedy club started opening back up in like June, some of them, June, July of. uh, of of 2020 and I, I didn't go out until 2021 yeah, I started to be, but yeah that's crazy uh, but but there were people going out and I'm like dudes I, I I pretty much sort of like hibernated for that first year and then I started going once the vaccines were in I felt a little bit because I'm mm-hmm. like I'm a big guy I got I got some hypertension I got you know generally I'm a 50 year old uh overweight uh, male and I've got the usual 50 year old overweight male stuff and like I didn't want to end up on a ventilator so I just stayed home for that first year but then when we got the vaccines um, uh, you know it's been and now it's kind of like I think almost everywhere is like this now but it's almost like the pandemic never happened we're almost back to normal almost yeah yeah. it is almost like the it is almost like the Mm -hmm. Nobody wears masks around here anymore. The only place yeah. I ever wear a mask is my uh, doctor's office. Yeah, I was going to say, I went to the doctor last week, and you have to wear a mask in the building, and they're all wearing masks and everything. But as far as that goes, like, nobody really else is. Yeah, right. Stores, stores don't require it anymore. Yeah. I like it right now because it keeps my face warm. <laughs> it's cold outside. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we didn't really we didn't really dive into uh, the first half of your life in England, you know. But I do want to ask you: Have you had a chance to go back uh, in the last few years and do comedy there? I have not. So that did, we um uh, every time I've been over. Well, look, I started comedy like uh before the pandemic, and then I sort of didn't have a trip there, and then then we had the pandemic, and the clubs were shut down over there. Yeah, Uh, I I have not had the occasion to be able to do comedy in England. But what I want to do, we are going for six weeks in um, in in the summer. I'm going to work remotely for part of it. I'm going to take some time off. But my kid is off school. My wife has negotiated some, uh, you know, a leave of absence from work, and we're going to go. We've rented a, a cute little farmhouse. It's not far from where my sister lives. And I have two nieces that I don't ever get to see except on Zoom. So we're going to go over there for six um, weeks next summer. Oh, that's and awesome. Yeah. Oh, and I'm going to hit up. I'm going to hit up all the local uh, clubs. Um, you know, my, my sister lives in the countryside, but it's only about 20 miles from Birmingham, which is the big city I grew up in. Or the biggest city club. I grew up in a small town called Tipton, which is about 10 miles from Birmingham. It's almost like a suburb. Um, but um, I'm going to try and get a Birmingham comedy club. I'm going to send some tape over and see if I can't get uh, a guest spot somewhere because I'd really like my family and English friends to have the opportunity to see me perform. Yeah, that's incredible. They've, they've, they've watched me on Zoom. Like, I had my dad, huh, one of my early Zoom shows, 
It was at a time. I, I, I deliberately set a time so it would be a early. It was like a Sunday afternoon at four. So it's 10 o'clock in England. And so I, my, my brother-in-law came, my sister came, my dad came, a couple of friends. And, uh, my dad, he didn't appreciate the, uh, the, you know, how comedy shows worked. And he, uh, I was telling a funny story about him and he decided <laughs> to interrupt and correct me. <gasps> oh, oh, wow. I got heckled by my father and uh I had to shut him down a little bit. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and I said, Dad, Dad, this isn't a dialogue, this isn't a conversation. If you do this again, I'm gonna have to mute you. Um uh, and I said, but you know, you know, ladies and gentlemen, um uh if uh if you are because this is in the middle of pandemic and people were like England's doing so much better than we are. I'm like, if you want to move to England, my father is available for marriage pro- um, proposals. Uh, he's a widowed guy. I'm like, <laughs> uh, you know, so if, if any of you ladies or gentlemen, I think he's open-minded enough. So I I sort of like shut my dad down with a little sort of, uh, uh, so I got, I got everybody laughing at him. And yeah, he like a little roast. Yeah. A, a little yeah. gentle roast and he Light didn't roast. need it interrupt anymore (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome i uh i hope you do get out some clubs out there it sounds like that'd be really a really good time for you and for your family that's awesome yeah looking forward to very much hell yeah hell yeah well uh you know we could talk forever and stuff and we could dive into (laughs) your uk stuff so we'll definitely uh have to talk to you again but uh thank you so much for joining us you are more than welcome. It's been a pleasure. You two are two of my very favorite people. You're, you're, a, you're a great comedy couple. You're a pillars of our online comedy community. And it is my absolute pleasure to be on your podcast. Thank you for inviting me. And I look forward to the day when well, I'd love to meet you in person. So yeah. absolutely, we've got, to, we've got to make that happen at some point. Yeah, uh, I want to. I want to pitch it. I got to. I got a wall with pictures on of comics I've met in real life from Zoom, and I want to add you to that wall. So let's let's make that happen at some point. Yeah, yeah. definitely, absolutely, hell yeah! You want to uh, you want to plug your social media real quick before we get out of here? Yeah, you can find me on Facebook. I update it fairly uh, often. I I made the mistake of not having a business page, so just David J Parsons, you'll find me there. Um, David James Parsons, I think. Just Google that. Um, look, look about up on Facebook. You'll find me. And all my other social media is at D Parsons Comedy. So you'll, uh, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll find that on Twitter and, uh, uh, Instagram and TikTok. Although I don't, I'm not really a social media guru. But, uh, yeah, just look me up. But I usually post all my gigs on Facebook, which reposts automatically on Instagram. So follow me on either of those. And uh, one more plug for uh, Stomping Ground Comedy. If you want to go see a show or learn some improv or some stand-up, go to stompinggroundcomedy.org. Wonderful organization that I'm thrilled to be a part of. And... uh, I really uh, uh, think that you can do far worse than look to them for any of your uh, performance or training needs. 
-hmm. That's exciting too. I can't wait to see what that brings for you in the future, you know, because you're just starting out. And so you're going to, you're going to be able to, to help some people out. You'll see them in the community. It's it's super fun. I'm excited for you. Great to talk to you both. You have a wonderful uh, rest of Sunday. Likewise. Oh, thank you very thank much. You. And uh, you can find me at Funky Sam Medina across the board. And I'm at She Shines for You, all spelled out, and Athena Rodriguez Comedy on Facebook. And everything else is at Hypothetical Comedy. Hell yeah. Thank you again, David. Thank you. Take care.